have the privilege to introduce to Eastern Illinois University, Aaron Rock. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to make a comment about the guy that was, you know, was commenting about homosexuals. It, 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 it surprises me because, you know, if I were gay, would that be an insult? And as I am not gay, can that offend me? Uh, much more impressed uh, I was when I saw the Muslim demonstration at the Global Atheist Convention where they had all these guys gathered up, you know, telling us all to burn in hell, right? And uh, calling for the heads of people that were in attendance. And uh, yet two, uh, two gay guys walked up in front of this massive procession and kissed. <laughs> There's this huge cheer. I was so proud of those boys. Anyway, that takes balls. And you know they both got a pair. <laughs> when I was invited to come here, I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about until I saw a, uh, an article in one of your local papers. It was Daily Eastern News. Uh, said I would be speaking on the role of faith in society. Uh, so I figured I'd best talk about that. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to have to read a lot of this. I'm sorry. I, I really wish I could have, you know, it, it's surprising what little you can do on a plane. And uh, it's 15 hours one way coming across the Pacific, even at 600 miles an hour, which sucks. Um, throughout my youth, I was taught that faith is a virtue. Other than that, no one could tell me exactly what faith is. I was told that faith is loyalty. Uh, Fido was a popular dog name because it was based on the derivative of the word fight of fidelity, meaning the opposite of infidel. Uh, obviously, they are faithful, and if your spouse is not faithful, then she is guilty of he or she is guilty of infidelity. Um, that's why they're that's why they're called faithful and. It's an infidel is one who does not keep the faith. Uh, and I'm told that uh, the virtue here is that a man should stand by his beliefs as if his belief was tied to his very identity and that he should hold true to that and defend the faith without compromise. That didn't make any sense to me as a child because I reasoned. What if you had two men with mutually exclusive ideas? What exactly is virtuous if both of them, at least one of them, are wrong, if not both? So what exactly is virtuous about being unable to consider your opponent's position or reconsider your own? Um, how is it? Uh, but of course, I, I know people who will continue to believe whatever they want to believe, regardless whether it's really true or not. Hey, Flanders, heading for church? Well, I thought I could save you a little time. Ooh, found a new shortcut. Better. I was working on a flat tax proposal, and I accidentally proved there's no God. We'll just see about that. Uh-oh. Well, maybe he made a mistake. Nope. It's airtight. Can't let this little doozy get out. I've actually met people like this, uh, several of them. Uh, one, one grisly example was from my youth. Somebody brought uh, missionaries over to talk to me about the, the Mormons. And, and uh, they, they bring over their pamphlets and they're sharing with me what they believe. 
and I couldn't help laughing through it. I mean, I was 14 years old, and they're telling me the things that they believe in, and, and it was just, I don't know, whenever you listen to some religious belief that you're not familiar with, you know, it's, oh, you guys believe crazy shit. Unlike, you know, me, I only believe in talking snakes and donkeys. But when I would try to present to the person that, that brought these people over to talk to me, I said, well, you guys believe all this weird crap. And she said, no, we don't. Well, yeah, we do. It's right here on this pamphlet. They say we believe, and she grabbed it, crumpled it up, threw it in the trash can, and prevented me from getting to the trash can to deny that that paper said that, and you can't get it out. She knows the paper says that, but inside, she won't admit that the paper says that. Um, I know that other people have done this too. I mean, uh, one guy I know of managed to convince himself that his wife was still faithful even when all of his friends and family had figured out when and where and with whom she was cheating. He didn't want to believe that, so he refused to acknowledge it, ignored all the signs, saw only what he wanted to see, and uh, preserved his, his uh, dignity, he thought, for a while until he realized, of course, he didn't have any dignity for quite a time. And I know this is what religious people do, too. But it begs the question, when is it ever wise to believe someone without reservation? I was told that faith is trust. Obviously, that didn't work for me either, partly because I had this image, this image on a t-shirt in high school. Uh, in this context, I was told that I would not step onto an airplane unless I have faith that it would land safely. But that doesn't make sense because I know the plane exists. I can prove that it does. I know something about the safety ratings for commuting on aircraft, and I know that I can check my sources to find out they should be fairly reliable. But how could I be expected to trust things which can't be verified and which are told to me by people who frankly can't be trusted? I can't trust the teacher or the preacher or even the president, which when I was a boy was Richard Nixon. And maybe that's why I never recognized any authority. Uh, as being unquestionable, and that includes the people who wrote all the world's religious tomes while claiming divine inspiration from a host of gods who cannot all exist at the same time. Each of my science books said, this is why we think this, this is how we figured it out, and this is what we still don't know. That I can trust, and it inspires me to contribute. Conversely, religious books claim to already know everything we'll ever need to know, even though they never explained anything, and you're forbidden to question them. Instead, you should believe them without suspicion simply because they said so, even when they've already been proven wrong. This is why the word confidence man describes a criminal swindler. Such people should not be trusted. When is it ever wise to believe someone without question? At least when you look up the word faith, some dictionaries will describe it as a secure confidence. But those that do also distinguish the colloquial sense from faith as it applies to religion, and that is the context we're talking about. Every dictionary I have yet seen matches everything I've seen from the hymns and sermons of theologians past and present, and even the scriptures of Abrahamic and Hindu religions. Faith is a secure confidence that is not based on evidence. Without evidence, there can be no reason to believe. So then faith was described as being synonymous with hope. You hope this is true. You hope your authorities know what they're talking about. You hope they're not lying to you, 
and you hope that your preconceived notions will still turn out to be true, even when they obviously can't be. This sort of unsupported wishful thinking is what it really means to take something on faith. But when is it ever wise to believe someone without reason? But you've got to have faith. If you have faith, anything is possible. Faith can move mountains. Supposedly, your faith can even make mountains move all by themselves so you don't have to do all that tedious shoveling. That's the great thing about faith. It can give one a satisfactory sense of accomplishment without having to find a solution or really do anything at all. In one of many old books of magic, myths, and monsters, there is a legendary character called Jesus, who might have been an actual person, though the story has obviously been heavily embellished. In one of these tales, Jesus said that with even very little faith, you could destroy coastal communities by causing mountains to jump into the sea. He didn't mention the, uh, the implied tsunami, but uh, that is what would happen. Uh, however, while Jesus says that we only need faith as small as a mustard seed, and I want to know what, his metric is, what metric he's using, he also implies that our faith must be absolute, because we cannot have doubt. The only way to eliminate doubt of things that can't be tested is you simply don't question it, don't even think about it. Even though you know it's absurd, just keep telling yourself that miracles can happen if you believe that they will. But you must be absolutely convinced the impossible will happen only if you believe hard enough or if you make a wish with all your heart. Because there, mutually exclusive contradictions can be ingested together without consideration. Don't think your way out of Fantasia. You don't measure faith with a logical brain from a natural world. Search your feelings. You know this to be true. If you circumvent the intellect, you can believe six impossible things before breakfast. All you have to do is deny the laws of nature and the rules of logic and just convince yourself without a doubt. Don't just say that you believe impossible absurdities. Assert your conviction. Trust in the priesthood and in the doctrine of the infallible fables. And believe them absolutely. Never underestimate the power of pretend. You must make believe. You have to pretend with all the auto-deceptive delusion you can muster, because there is a lot riding on it. Religion is a belief system. That means that you are required to believe this and forbidden to believe that. This is how religion differs from free thought. We don't care what you believe. All that matters is why you believe it. Faith doesn't count as a reason. It is indefensible in that regard, which may be why religionists resort to psychological projection, denying their own faults while accusing them in others. It's an old cliche, the pot calling the silverware black. It means accusing someone else of the same faults you too are guilty of. But religious extremists project their own faults onto those who will not share them. The real question is, why are believers in the one camp, evolution, seeking to impose their faith on the other camp? But in truth, all I had was blind faith in atheism. You don't believe in a God, and so you're kind of 
religion is to have no God. And the evolution theory is the dumbest and most dangerous religion in the history of planet Earth. It's the old playground game of I'm rubber, you're glue. What bounces off me sticks to you. It's an infantile tactic which I describe as the pot calling the silverware black. It's a sort of psychological spin. How else can you defend an indefensible position? You have to twist everything around. That's why the Bible defines a fool as someone who does not believe completely the outrageous claims of incredulous sources, even without asking for evidence, but every other source in the world defines a fool as someone who does these things. When I went to the Reason Rally, I found myself in an energetic discussion with a couple of deeply indoctrinated Christian kids. They were victims of the sort of cerebral bleach peddled by the likes of Ray Comfort and Kent Hovind, and I was not immediately aware of how many cameras had gathered around us. These boys accused me of having faith in evolutionism, but that's not all they did. They expressed an all-too-common fallacy in Abrahamic religions, one which relates to the role of faith in Western society. They accused me of secretly believing in God, but denying his, his existence so that I would not be accountable for my beloved sins. My point of contention was ill-expressed in that crowd of everyone talking over everyone else, so I'd like to clarify it here. There is this idea, common uh, throughout Christendom, that belief in God is somehow required in order to be good. Statistically, that is obviously not the case, at least according to what I've happened across uh, online. I don't see a lot of Christian compassion or charity represented here. The factions of dominant religion typically have the highest crime rate with special emphasis on hate crimes. Uh, religious people are more likely to condone the murder or torture of prisoners where non-religious people are more likely to consider that morally wrong. Yes, we have morals and we're beginning to feel alone in that. But it gets worse. The most religious countries also have the highest murder rate. And the same is true of the religious areas within this country. The higher the religiosity of a given populace, the higher the murder rate. Similar nations show the opposite tendencies. Where the less religious they are, the more peaceful they are. Here in America, evangelical Christians have the highest divorce rate. They also have the highest rates of teen pregnancy, which isn't surprising since uh, we believe in teaching abstinence only. I live in Texas, where the abstinence-only program has been so successful that we have achieved the country's highest level of repeat teen pregnancy. <laughs> but it gets even worse. Fundamentalist Christians also have the highest rates of abortion. That's what a colossal failure the programs of the religious right have been. But it still gets even worse than that. Child Protective Services and other agencies report a significant majority of child abusers and molesters identified as very religious, and the more religious they are, uh, the, more, the more religious they seem to be, the worse offenders they seem to be. And yet, despite all of this, how are atheists perceived? Atheists are parasites. What does an atheist believe? Nothing, right? I think they need to shut up. You're evil, you're wicked, 
You're vile. Used to say in previous wars, there are no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Is that true? Yes, it is true. Very true. They suffer the fact that they don't believe because they know that the world makes a whole lot more sense if God does exist. There's no fellowship between an atheist and somebody who's a believer in God. If you look at some of the people who are atheists, they're all miserable looking because they don't have any faith in anything. They're benefiting from everything that religious culture is built in America, but they're doing nothing to add energy into the system. Stupid atheists, I hope God kills them all. The Pope blamed Nazi crimes on atheism and the secularization of society. If you think the Bin Ladens of the world are bad, Bin Laden in his wildest imagination could not even begin to match the crimes of atheism that have occurred within our lifetime. It is atheism, not religion, that is responsible for the mass murders of history. A press release from the Catholic League said the comparison between atheists and Nazis was more than justified. The Pope did not go far enough. Radical atheists like the British Humanist Association should apologize for Hitler. They have no love in them. They have no love in them. So all the science whatever gibberish you want to you want to spout at me you don't have any love in you you have no love in you so it's all worthless her kids don't go to church and believe in god i love jesus and the cross and if you don't i hope somebody rapes you i, I really think you live in poverty because if you think that this world your life is just preparing with candles and batteries and has no life outside your immediate physical self. I think you're missing something. We have Christmas. We have fun. We get presents. This is a celebration. What do they do? What do they fill the void with? Stuff, things, power, careers, money, celebrities. And a University of Minnesota poll last year found that atheists were among the most distrusted group in America. Every dark-sided person get out of my house. If you believe in Jesus, you can stay here. You sitting up here talking to a dude and he tells you he's an atheist, you need to pack it up and go home. You know, talking to a person who don't believe in God, what's his moral barometer? Where is it at? It's nowhere. How can you have judgment if you have no faith? And how can I trust you with power if you don't pray? In 21st century America, as in other predominantly religious countries now and throughout history, we are judged as evil, void, and emotionally depraved simply because we do not believe things which are not evidently true, because we are wise enough to reserve judgment in lieu of compelling evidence, because we are wise enough not to jump to the first conclusion and refuse to change our mind. We lack the virtue of admitting that we might have been wrong about something or could be. If given good reason, I will change my mind. I've had many discussions where people say, look, you're not going to change my mind, and I'm never going to change yours. And I say, no, you're wrong. You could change my mind if you had a reason to. I can't change yours because you've decided in advance that it doesn't matter what reason I give. And it doesn't matter that there is an inverse correlation between one's level of education and their tendency to believe in gods, aliens, pseudoscience, and spiritualism. The real problem for empirical scientists and other forms of rational skepticism is that we care more about truth than the religious do. Christians have often told me that their fear of God was the only reason they don't run amuck in the streets, raping and killing and doing all the horrible things that God commanded his followers to do in the Bible. Things that atheists generally would never do, even if it were legal. Most of us 
pretend to be good, and when we are, we are good for goodness sake. What we do, or we do what must be done, because it should be, not because of any threat, not for any reward either. So why do Christians think that belief in God has anything at all to do with being good? The popular notion is that when anyone dies, they are judged according to the tally of good or evil things they've done in their lives. This idea is much older than the Bible. It dates back to the Zoroastrian religion, which scholars say contributed significantly to the formation of Judaism from which Christianity emerged. Way back then, they believed that the souls of men would ascend to the kingdom of justice and truth ruled by Ahura Mazda, and the souls of evil men descend into the kingdom of the lie ruled by Araman. And shadows of this can be found in modern Judaism, but this does predate. This is what it says in the Avestas of Zarathustra, but it does not say that in the Bible, and that is not what Christianity teaches. In the Christian religion, nearly all sins may be forgiven if you believe in Jesus, and simply because you believe in Jesus. No matter how absurd the stories are, all you have to do is swallow whatever the priests are selling, and that's it. You're saved. So if you love sin, claim Jesus as your Savior. Yes, there are passages in the Bible that say that works are important too, but only in addition to faith. And those passages could be paraphrased as, believe what we tell you so that you'll do as we say. Submissive obedience and subservience to the priests is repeated throughout. But there are also passages like Ephesians 2.8, which say that you are saved only through your faith, not of yourselves, meaning that there's nothing you can actually do about it. Because, as it says in Isaiah 64.6, your good works are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. It does not matter how good or bad you are. You're not going to be held accountable for your sins. That's not what you're being judged on. There is only one criteria. All that matters is that you believe and that you believe on faith, meaning that you have complete conviction without evidence. Remember, Jesus said, blessed is he who has not seen and yet believed. So morality isn't the issue. What matters is whether or not you can believe the most outrageous claims imaginable, even from the least credible people possible, and believe it completely when there is no reason at all why you should. The most saintly skeptic is cursed simply for being rational, while the most naive sinners can still be saved. You can break the Ten Commandments if you want to. You won't go to hell for that. In fact, the Bible lists hundreds of God's commandments, but he literally won't give a damn if you break them. Leviticus 26 says that if you break God's commandments, he will punish you in this life, not the next, by making your toil harder and your efforts fruitless. That's why all these atheists had to toil so hard with little or no reward. Now you might be thinking that that's the Old Testament and those rules don't apply to modern Christians. But in Matthew 5.19 in the New Testament, Jesus says that he who ignores any of those old commandments shall be called least in heaven. So you'll still go to heaven. You just have to fly coach. You're still supposed to obey all those creepy old Jewish laws, including the one about having to murder anyone who works on weekends, and the one about having to sell your daughter to whoever rapes her first. But you'll still be forgiven if you don't, even if you eat at Red Lobster while wearing a nylon polyester blend. 
It doesn't matter how good or bad you are. Love your sin all you want. Noah was a naked old drunk cursing his old children. Lot offered his daughters to a rape mob before he got drunk and molested them himself. And he even blamed them for seducing him. What a schmuck. Yet these were the guys whom God considered the best men in the whole world. Graded on a curve, wouldn't you all be better than them? Graded on a curve, how could any of you be considered least in heaven? What sin could you commit that would be worthy of damnation? You can break 612 commandments out of the whole list of 613. There is only one sin that even God doesn't have the power to forgive, which is weird because God wrote the rules. But I guess he made a rule prohibiting himself from breaking his own rules. And he lives by those rules, even when circumstances demand exception, because it is considered virtuous to never admit when you're wrong. Anyway, one forgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy has been legally interpreted to mean criminal irreverence of or disbelief in someone else's dogma. And it still carries a death sentence in some countries. Nowhere does the Bible damn believers based on their works. Belief can always get them out of that. Nor does the Bible allow that good, kind, charitable, and saintly souls could go to heaven even if they don't believe. So believers can be as vile as they wish, doesn't matter. Atheists can be the most moral people ever, doesn't matter. Morality doesn't matter. Gullibility is the only criteria required for redemption. So if you love sin and you don't want to get killed for it, just say you believe in Jesus and the Holy Ghost because the only way to really piss God off is not to believe in Him. So when someone like me knows this and still says that I can't believe that, it means I really don't believe that. Sincerely. Seriously. He may as well try to sell me on Paul Bunyan or Peter Pan. Even if there is a God, these cannot be the rules of any just, wise, or righteous judge. These can only be the mandates of frauds and con men who are the only things in the universe who require or desire your faith. Deceivers need believers. And the only reason why anyone would portray gullibility as a virtue, and, that is the only and, and this is why the Bible does not praise rational intelligence and actually forbids skeptical inquiry. Instead, it promises unimaginable rewards to only those to believe what they're told and which they'll never see as long as they live. However, it is an empty promise. Spending eternity trapped in the company of a Bible God would be a lot like being trapped in the home of little Anthony Fremont, the creepy kid from the Twilight Zone. If you've never seen that episode, there was a little boy about six years old who had the powers of a God. If he didn't like something you said or thought, he would either turn you into a macabre monstrosity, kill you in some unthinkable fashion, sentence you to a living nightmare that never ends, or banish you to the cornfield, an implicitly oblivious place which was never adequately described in the story. If he showed you some ghastly curse he had just put on the cat or on your spouse, you would have to show him approval no matter how sick or twisted it was. You had to smile wide and praise him for doing that awful thing. That's a good thing you did, Anthony. A real good thing. 
you had to, because if you didn't, if you didn't make yourself say and think nice thoughts about him, he would tighten his lips and his eyes would get wide and all you could do was hope that he killed you quickly. So whenever Christians talk about heaven, that's exactly what I imagine. Think about enduring that forever. So what's the alternative? If you doubt the Christian dogma, then they'll threaten you with a fate worse than death. But it is an empty threat. If you think about it, hell and Satan too are a logical paradox that wouldn't exist even if God was real because God is not tied to the Bible. Contrary to popular belief, disproving the Bible does not disprove God and regardless whether any sort of God exists, the Bible has already been proven wrong about damn near everything back to front. Heaven shouldn't exist either. From my perspective, they're both the same picture and the artist is apparently Hieronymus Bosch. If the Bible were correct, then even the Christians can't escape from damnation. Because look at this. The Jewish God, Yahweh, who is supposedly Jesus' father, commanded us to love thy neighbor and honor thy father and mother. But Jesus says no. The only way to be saved is to follow him. The only way to do that is to hate your own family. If you hate your brother, you are a murderer. And all murderers burn in hell. Notice it does not say all murderers except those who were forgiven. So yes, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm going to torture you anyway. <laughs> it also doesn't exclude those who murdered someone for gathering sticks on the Sabbath, so you figure out what you're supposed to do there. But remember that Jesus is usually considered to be a God and the son of the real God, and God the Father, also known as El Allah Yahweh, El Allah Abba Yahweh, being the same God for both the Jews and the Muslims. Ironic, isn't it? Apparently, God and Jesus had a few disagreements, uh, this being the most important in terms of your salvation, because the God of the Old Testament isn't as nice as Jesus. So if Christianity is true, and you're a Christian, you're going to burn in hell. But if Judaism or Islam are true, you're doomed then too, because you broke the very first commandment by putting Jesus before God. God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There are no gods beside me. There is me and me alone. This was in Isaiah 45. And then Jesus, of course, comes and says that I am the way, I am the light, I am the truth, and there's no way to get to God but through me. So Jesus positions himself before God. Uh, Jesus said that if you believe in him, that you will not even taste of death. But he lied. Because Christians and atheists both find themselves writhing on the floor, clutching their chests, trying to take another breath. That's what death tastes like, and that's what I'd like to be saved from. And why would you judge and my belief will change, whether I want it to or not, as my understanding of the facts improves? Religion, or religious belief, is often literally a matter of pretend, not even connected to whatever you think is really true. The first speech I gave, I mentioned Lindsay Lohan's lesbian love life, uh, everyone's favorite topic at that time. She was a Catholic, but dating a Jewish girl, never mind what both religions have to say about homosexuality. Anyway, Lohan announced that, she, uh, that in the following month, she would convert to Judaism. She would still be a Catholic until next month. Think about that for a moment. With that announcement, she effectively said that next month, 
she would stop believing that Jesus was the only way to salvation. Next month, she plans to believe that what she believes today is damnable idolatry. Only religion can be this insane. Only religion would offer payment for religious convergence or uh, conversion, which is what happened when the English Christians gave away acreage to any Viking who professed a belief in Jesus. Only religion would threaten to kill someone unless they pretend to believe the same unreasonable horseshit you do. Just imagine being promised real estate on the condition that you believe that Columbus discovered Ohio in 1942. Imagine being discriminated against if you can't convince everyone you really believe that. Imagine being damned to an eternal torture for not believing that when everything you know says that such indefensible nonsense simply cannot be true. How then could a God be portrayed as just if that is his system of judgment? There are Christians in my life whom I love and admire, and I know many Christians who love their atheist husband, daughter, friend, and so on. Those people see past the relatively trivial matter of whatever the other person believes and sees qualities that are much more important. It is such a pity that these people are so much more wise, just, and moral than their ridiculous, infantile, and thankfully imaginary God. So no, the reason I don't pretend there is a God has nothing to do with my wanting to be held accountable for something. Quite the opposite. The fact that I have accountability is the reason I can't pretend to believe. Not that that or anything else I ever do or say will matter to believers. When I die, guaranteed, some disrespectful fuck will be at my wake, assuring his or herself that they were right all along and that Aaron knows God is real now. So allow me this moment to preemptively correct that eventual asshole by saying that when you or I die, we will not know, think, wish, remember, dream, be, anything. Whether your God exists or not, history will be our judge. Either way, when I die, everything that was once me, my mother's son, my son's father, my wife's husband, my friend's bro, my neighbor's inconsiderate jerk. Everything that once made me special will, upon my demise, be reduced to a few dozen pounds of ape meat going bad, and I'm okay with that. I don't need to live forever. The only meaning my life ever had was whatever I meant to someone else. That is all, and that's enough. And now the fun part, the Q&A. This is what I live for. <laughs> and there isn't one. I'm so di disappointed. Drinks. <laughs> yes. Also in your talk about um, 
like you were saying, like the moral compass of atheists uh, as compared to the moral compasses of like believers or like Christians, and like as a whole, we are like more apt to like um, rape or things like that. And then I want to say, well, is that necessarily true when atheists have a tendency to mock Christians or anyone who's a believer? I've had it done several times. I am a biology major. Um, a lot of my teachers, I have. Actually, with my friend here, like we have a class together, and our teacher mocks Christians all the time. And is that a necessarily a good moral compass? You know. Um, and then, would you say that would be a moral compass to put pictures like you did on your talk and just or almost degrade Christians or the little Christians, or to 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 act, kind of make yourself feel better about with you? Oh no, I do not denigrate other people to elevate myself. I know people, mind you, I am criticizing a belief system that is just wholly wrong on all the scientific claims that they make. They, they have served only as an impediment when it comes to science, to social programs, to advances of any kind. You do not derive your moral compass from Christianity because Christianity promotes slavery among other things. There is not anything you can show me that can pass as morality that comes from when the tome of the Bible. It is full of horror and evil. It's racist. It's sexist. It's extremely judgmental. And the things that are practiced there, were you to practice them in today's society, you would be criminal. Um, yeah, um, can I say something else? Uh, with the whole, uh, the Bible sexist, well, that's not true because... Jesus sat with a Palestinian woman, woman, and at that time, it was unknown to actually even communicate with someone who was one outside of, who wasn't Jewish, and another who was a woman, a female. So to say that it's, it's not, it's, you know. So you're allowed to speak in church. <laughs> I read my Bible for myself, and that's what you, and anyone has to understand. When you read your Bible for yourself, you get a better understanding. Not someone interpret it for you, but you interpret it for yourself getting a great understanding of truly what the Bible wants you to understand and not letting someone necessarily say, well, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, when you're getting an understanding for yourself and saying, this is what the Bible means. The Bible doesn't promote slavery. In fact, it actually, on the contrary, doesn't. In the well, old days, list. women are available at half price. I think her point is that, like, like for me, I have atheist friends, and I do also have, I also do believe in God. I think the, the problem was with it, not that you don't believe in God, because I have atheist friends I don't down because they don't deny me for believing in God, but the whole time you're here is just like, why do you have to belittle and mock and make fun of someone else's beliefs and religion just to make your point? Did it's you me. not catch the video when they talk about you have no moral compass? But did you not catch your whole speech? And, the, and maybe you, was, you wasn't here and the movie they played before, it was just a whole insult, and it's like, Maybe they have y'all maybe have had bad experience and got stereotyped, but for me personally, those stereotypes are religious people say, oh, they're going to just down all atheism for hate y'all. I have gay friends, I have friends don't believe in God, and I don't judge them about it all at all. Why does your God do that? Why does your God then? Your God will damn if your God existed, if your God existed, I would be damned to everlasting torture because your God cannot see past what you can see past. The, what I believe is trivial. The judgments of who I am as a person, that matters. Why is it reversed 
for your God. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what a great guy I am. It doesn't matter how evil you are. You're a believer in heaven. I'm, a, I'm an atheist. Gone. So where is the moral compass? Is it worth torturing somebody forever? Forever. Eternity. Mercilessly. Gnashing of teeth, right? Over what I believe. Not what a good guy I am. Over what I believe. And yeah, I don't go to church and diss these people at their churches. But I just came from the GAC. And we had Christians with bullhorns telling me we were going to go to hell on one side of the building and insulting me every way imaginable while the people on the others were the Muslims. They're on the other side of the building also telling us that we're going to go to hell. And they'd be happy to expedite the process. These people are calling for our heads, quite literally. I was wishing that we could get them both to stand on the same side. It'd be a lot easier. I could just step back and watch as they kill each other because that's the way religion is. Were this what, a couple hundred years ago, and I come up and say these things, you wouldn't be saying, well, that's insulting, and I find that offensive. No, I'd be dead. And were it that atheists were in generally in charge, and we would look at people who believed things on faith as a minority, um, you would not be dead. We would probably be trying to find a treatment, but you would not be dead. Or as a minority, should be dead? Right. If the minority is people who believe on faith, and the majority are people who don't believe in possible nonsense for no good reason, we would not be killing people who did believe on faith because lack of faith is not threatened by faith. Faith is threatened both by other faiths and by lack of faiths. You have to have people believe the way you do or you lash out against them. And it's always been a history of absolute violence. We are changing that. When you talk about the moral compass, like that guy, where's his moral barometer? It's nowhere. Why, isn't, why wasn't Carl Sagan out raping and killing and doing all these horrible things? What happens? I mean, you, you said you read the Bible for yourself, and I totally encourage that. I ask all the atheists I know to read the Bible. I mean, Penn Jillette did a wonderful treatise on this. You should read it. Take some time. Read it thoroughly, cover to cover, because we need more atheists, and nothing will get you faster than reading the damn Bible. There was a poll done. There was a poll done about, you know, all, most, hold on, one second, I just want to make one, one final point and you guys can talk again. Um, most atheists in this country were former Christians. So there was a poll done as to what was the catalyst, why did you become atheist? Now, lying piece of shits like uh, William Lane Craig and people of his sort will say that everybody believes in God and that we, and that we, uh, we, say that we don't want to believe in God so that we won't be accountable for our sins. He knows that that's never happened a single time. He's a liar. The heads of the church, all liars. We care about truth. Okay, and I just, I just wandered myself off track with that. I'm going to let you go ahead and take your question. Okay. I was told. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
associating me with Hitler as if Hitler was an atheist when we all know that he was a creationist? Or calling me communist when I couldn't have... Okay, these people came to me and they told me that I have no moral compass and that they do because a book that really does promote slavery and really does condone the murder of people for practically every reason imaginable. What is the sin? What is the penalty for every sin? that they give in the Old Testament. It's death. The penalty for death is everything. You kill people for anything, for picking up sticks on Sunday. Actually, it's Friday evening to Saturday morning. You catch them because they never change the Sabbath over. And Jesus said that if you don't, and Jesus said that if you ignore any of these testaments, you will be called least in heaven. Yes. Okay. There's no way we know what God's trying to show because God didn't write that book. That book was written by people. But the thing in the answer that I just want to give you, when people talk about that I have no morals, they're getting something, that there's, there's no morals to be found in the book that they're turning to. And I have that because I have natural human compassion for the others of my species. Right? It's not that hard to acknowledge that if you work in a manner that is productive to society and that is altruistic and supportive of your family, friends, and fellows, that is an evolutionary trait that will be perpetuated. If you are aberrant, if you are sociopathic, that is a trait that will be eliminated. Religion beat that by coming up with the rule that you kill the infidel. Now, next question. Can, can I just broaden this topic a little bit? Um, I think one of the, the confounds in all of this is that if we take away any religious doctrine, we take away a philosophy that guides human behavior, you know, that provides a moral compass. And I don't see a moral compass, I don't see guidance. True, but that's not the way that most believers would interpret it, I think. Okay. So, so my question is, if, you, if we have to acknowledge a general lack of understanding of science, if we, if, as John Miller from Northwestern has told us, that the scientific understanding in the American public is at the bottom of the heap globally, then what can we provide either to United States citizens or citizens elsewhere who don't understand science, what can we provide in substitution for religious doctrine that would help guide moral behavior, that would provide things as elementary as a golden rule, for instance? The golden rule? Yeah, it predates religion. Of course. And, and most people, this is the funny thing, that most people that, that were diehard, hateful, I mean, emotive people when they were religious, when you crack that shell of the faith, and what is the armor of the faith? It means I will not be reasoned with. You cannot change my mind. I'm not going to hear you. If you can, get through. Crack that armor and get them to start to think and reevaluate their own positions. You find out that when they no longer believe, they're not running in the streets, raping or killing anybody. As a matter of fact, they're also not voting for people who want to minimize women's rights. They're not voting for people that, that promote the death penalty. They're not voting for people that want to, to pass laws permitting, um, permitting the um, 
judgments against homosexuals when it comes to employment or housing. Okay, we're talking about when they wake up and they stop wanting to impede everybody else's rights and they become better people. This is what I consistently see all the time. And I live in Texas and maybe that's an excuse. But I mean, every religious group, the vehement religious groups are attached to hate groups. And every hate group that I'm aware of is funded or supported by a religious organization. To my knowledge, there isn't a hate group for atheists. Atheists want to negate our own necessity. We want to stop calling ourselves atheists. We want to stop being isolated because we don't believe ridiculous things, because we question faith, because faith doesn't make any sense. It is wrong to judge someone for believing something impossible for no reason. Am I going to send you to hell? No, I have not. Well, no, I, I did. I did. I found you charming. I just didn't say so. It's, it is your religion. Yeah, and you really are. It is, but your religion. I am not attacking the Christians. I'm attacking the religion. The religion is a, it's a belief system. Okay? Remember? Prohibited beliefs and required beliefs. Get rid of it. Think freely. And you will become a better person for it. You don't use that Bible as a moral guide. It's not a guide of anything. It certainly isn't a guide of science. It, it inhibits your understanding of practically everything. And if, if anything demonstrates that, it is the politicians we have produced in my state. Yes? Wrong. We have something called the separation of church and state. Christians want you to believe that it doesn't exist because they think it applies only to them. And they've told me many times, freedom of religion applies only to freedom of Protestant Christianity. And that they may then impose their beliefs and in classrooms teaching as fact biblical genesis regardless whether they have Native American or uh, Hindu kids or from anywhere else. They're going to impose that as fact. And they don't see there being a separation. You cannot have freedom of religion without freedom from religion. And that's what the atheist movement is trying to promote. Okay, I'm sorry. That's like not... Like, what I'm saying is... Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I um, no, it's okay. No worries. <laughs> um, because, okay, so say you believe in Christianity. And you believe that ultimately everyone has an eternal destiny. Say that's what you believe. That's what you're convinced of. So for you, the life of everyone at stake around, is around you is at stake. You believe that everyone's soul is going somewhere, so you're concerned about that. And that's a big deal for you. For an atheist who believes you turn into not, you just rotten at earth, then I guess I don't understand, like, there's a much more passionate belief behind Christianity because you, there's a belief in everyone's eternity. But I don't understand the trying to convince other people that these things aren't true if ultimately what does it matter? Because you're saying it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really matter because you just rot in the earth, so. I don't understand that philosophy. I mean, I the fact that I have only one life and I've wasted most of it being deceived in this population where I've been told all kinds of things that aren't true. Why does it matter if you're deceived? Because ultimately your life is because nothing. Because I'm wasting time. Only accurate information has practical application. 
If you go around chasing a lie, you're not going to achieve anything. You can't benefit mankind. You can't do anything. Now, if you have only one life and you don't get to pretend that you're going to continue living forever, that life becomes more valuable. Humans value that which is rare. Okay, I have only one life. I'm nearing the end of it. I wasted most of it believing nonsense. I would like to achieve something. I want to be of benefit to someone because that's the only immortality I'm going to get. <coughs> what is the purpose of the... What is your purpose? I don't understand this. Christians always tell me that they have this meaning of life. What is it? Is it to be trapped in a house with little Anthony Fremont and kiss his ass forever? Is that really what it is? I mean, when creationists come and they argue against science, they argue against methodological naturalism. They don't want to hear natural explanations. They want to believe in magic. Literally, then, if evidence can be thrown out the window because it doesn't mean anything, because maybe Satan put those fossils there, or uniformitarianism is just an illusion created by God to test our faith, then literally nothing means anything anymore. Where could there be a meaning of life in the Christian perspective? I don't get it. Immortality, eons of eternity, actually deprive that. But the rest of the theology deprives it too. How could you have a meaning of life? I have a few years in which I can make the planet better. And I, I'd like that to go on some memoriam for me that I did something good. I have children who have to survive me. And I would rather they be proud that they were related to me. And I would, I would rather leave an environment that isn't totally raped. I mean, when these people come to me and they say it doesn't matter what we do to the environment, we can consume all the oil, we can consume all the coal, we can overfish until there's no fish anymore, and we should procreate as many souls to the Lord as we can possibly pump out until everybody starves to death. And it doesn't matter. We have no responsibility because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to turn everything, to, he's going to roast everything anyway. And I say, yeah, but what if you're wrong? I'm not wrong. Well, yeah, but what if you're wrong? I'm not wrong. Okay, fine. Can't think hypothetically. If I'm wrong, Jesus comes back for no reason, to destroy everything for no reason, because people did or didn't believe something stupid for no reason, and the planet is nice and people are happy. If they're wrong and Sky Daddy doesn't show up, they will have screwed up everything and they're, they're still trying to skirt their accountability for what they've done. There is a moral obligation, and it is not on the religious end. Yes. Um, I'm sorry. String theorists have some interesting ideas about the collision of brains, what they call, you know, uh, cosmic membranes, or well, beyond cosmic, supercosmic, what have you, and they're very similar to the Tao Te Ching's description of how creation was the result of a conflict between light and dark forces. I'm kind of impressed by that. What I would suspect is it just as we don't understand black holes, we understand that a gravity is like if you have a stretched tight uh, sheet, you have a heavy weight on it, and you have the bend in the, that's the way gravity works. But if you have a black hole, that's actually a hole in space-time. And things go in there, we don't know if they're coming out, we have no understanding of that, it's okay, we're gonna try to figure it out. We're not gonna make up answers that we can't test. We're not gonna say, well, I don't understand, therefore magic. You have to come up with the real answer. So what if, the entire inflation of our universe was also a part of a cosmic rift, like a rift in space-time. Every time, and I say this everywhere I go, every time we've ever come up with a supernatural explanation for anything, when we thought that epilepsy was demonic 
possession. When Martin Luther argued that doctors were fools for trying to treat diseases as though they came from common co or you know material ailments or what have you, lightning, uh, volcanoes being confused with gods, all these things. When we figured out the real answer, we never would have figured out the real answer had we not given up the supernatural answer, had we not said, you know what, I don't think that's right. First we have to get that impediment out of the way. And then when we found out what the real answer was, it was always vastly more interesting, a whole new field of study that we wouldn't have dreamt of otherwise, and it propelled us forward. This is why religion has always been an impediment to science. It was... Perhaps. Okay, so has the universe always existed? In a sense. If you're familiar with Cartesian coordinate systems and, and, um, and asymptotes, um, one second becomes eternity when t equals zero. So if that's the case, and it goes out like this, then it literally would have been an instant and eternity at the same time. Right, but... Um, okay, we, there, there are other people that, that want to hit me up when we do drinks because I kind of need drinks in order to talk at that level. Yes? I was curious, because um, obviously you've studied the Bible a lot. What is your understanding of what the Trinity is? Because uh, just when you were putting the verses up there talking about God saying to follow me and then uh, this guy called Je named Jesus saying to follow me, like, what is your understanding of the Trinity and how that all plays out? It's not universally agreed upon. Uh, you have Unitarian Christians. Uh, the, there were two of our first six presidents were Unitarian Christians. They did not believe that Jesus was a deity. Uh, you have Binitarian Christians still today. Uh, you have Binitarian Christians as well. They do not believe that Jesus and God are the same person. Uh, nor really could they be. If you, if you look at the scripture, I know me and Matt Dillahunty have had arguments about this. He says the only way that you can interpret it is by one passage in one place in the context of the history. You have to assume that what Jesus is sort of implying, nudge, nudge, is that he is, some, he is God at the same time as being himself. But everything that I see, Jesus describes God as being someone else, somewhere else, who's capable of things he can't do and knows things he doesn't know. I mean, Jesus was a, himself a follower of John the Baptist previously, right? And then when he gets baptized, what happens? God talks for the first time since the Old Testament, and he introduces everybody to Jesus. This is my boy Jesus, and then the Holy Ghost leads Jesus someplace Jesus did not already know. And who was taking dictation at that, that prayer at Gethsemane where Jesus is asking himself to relinquish that cup? No, not because I will it, but because you will it. How is that possible if they're the same person? Now, in the context, if you look at the Bhagavad Gita, which was written some... I don't know, 300 years before the book of Isaiah. Okay, the Bhagavad Gita at least is that old. And in it, Lord Krishna of the Hindu religion declares himself to be the supreme personality of the Godhead. He is God made flesh. Everything that people say Jesus is, Jesus didn't say he was, but Krishna did. Jesus didn't say that he created the universe. Krishna did. Krishna said he created everything himself and that, he, and that the, the, all the other gods emanate from him. And they have something called a trimurti, which is Rama, Shiva, and Brahma. They are individuals, but they're all one unit, kind of like a senate. I'm sorry, I, I gave the wrong answer. I could tell again. I'm just batting a thousand a day. Yes? I just wanted to know if you 
conservationist, he, um, he asked me if I was religious, and I said no, and he stated like, well, why, or how do you have morals? And I'm like, I was really deeply offended, like, you learn your morals from your parents when you're young. Like, if you're in a playground, you're like three or something, you see someone hit another person for taking their Lego, you learn that hitting in violence is okay, not from the Bible. You can't even understand the Bible at that point. So I just don't see And I appreciate that statement. Thank you. I want to share something with you. I talked to a family, a family court attorney who mentioned that he was Christian. He's defending a, an atheist. And said, well, do you have a problem um, representing an atheist? Not defending, it's a family court thing. So he's representing an atheist, a child custody battle. And he said, um, uh, no, I used to be a criminal attorney. I've, I've defended child molesters and thieves. That's the category that we're in, okay? And it has happened, and I can cite examples, where people have lost custody of their children simply because they are atheist. Now, where is the moral judgment between somebody who, two people, identical in every way, one person believes something crazy, unsupported, and he believes it for no reason, and he won't change his mind even if you prove him wrong. That's the moral one. And the other guy who's reasonable and trying to understand things and who really cares about truth, that's the one that's going to hell. What kind of a system is that? Yes, ma'am. So, I know a lot of us are here for our evolution class, so I wanted to ask a question about evolution. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> So I was wondering why you thought, or like what people have said to you, why they're so afraid to accept evolution. Like even the Catholic Pope has told Catholics, like we believe in evolution, believe in it. Yet even Catholics I know won't believe in it. And like I personally just believe, like there's nothing more like beautiful or comforting knowing that I'm natural. Like I'm related to all other living things. I don't have some divine purpose or big shoes to fill. Like I'm free to live my life as who I am. Like, so I was wondering why you think there's such a conflict against. I like, don't understand why I am considered arrogant for thinking that I am temporary, insignificant, I'm, I'm a blink in the cosmic eye, and that it has existed long before me and won't remember me very long. I'm arrogant for that. But the Christian who claims that he is the reason the universe exists is humble in his ideology. I don't get that either. Thank you for listening to this episode of the RM Law Archives. This podcast is made by the Very Good Podcast Network with permission from RM Law. The RM Law Archives contains the audio versions of content originally uploaded to YouTube by RM. To read more about this podcast, please visit www.verygoodpodcast.com slash rmrawpod. If you like this content, Please visit Aron Raw on YouTube to see the original videos and other content. If you would like to support Aron, consider becoming a patron by visiting www.patreon.com slash Raw.